2: Romans chapter 14 verse 1, as for the man who is a weak believer, he's speaking to the congregation here, okay, fellowship of believers, he says, now, as for the man who is a weak believer, welcome him into your fellowship, but not to criticize his opinions or pass judgments on his scruples or perplex him with discussions, Now, this is teaching how we will interact with one another. And he's told you all along that you are a new creation. You are a new self. And because you are who you are, you operate within the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, there are no divisions. No single person who is in the body of Christ will ever suffer from rejection, the rejection of the body. You've heard about these people who get like a transplant. Right, And their body rejects the new liver or the new kidney. And that's one of the things they have to guard about. Well, listen, you'll never be rejected because you weren't just transplanted into him. You were made into him. We won't deal with rejection. And we, as the children of God, have surrendered our bodies to be the full expression of who Christ is in us. That's Romans twelve one. And because we have surrendered our bodies as a living sacrifice, we no longer live to the flesh, that being the body, but we live from the spirit, not just the big spirit, but the spirit of who we are, that union life that God created us to be. That's our new true selves. And in that sacrificial position, we have surrendered our rights. You see, our rights are not based in our liberty in Christ. When we received Christ, we received deliverance from rights, freedom from rights. We have been absolutely set free from all the rights. Now, we, when we get in the flesh, the first thing we want to do is gather our rights around us. And when I say get in, I mean walk after. When we try to walk after the flesh, we got to gather our rights because the flesh is always about defending our rights. You don't believe me? You watch TV for a little bit. It's all about our rights. We are free from rights because in Christ we have complete liberty to love as Christ loves without self protection. Because He is our life, and that life doesn't need protection. If the Christian lives according to his new nature, he will respect his brother, weaker or stronger, and love his brother and sister. Over his rights to certain discretionary behavior. Now, this section of scripture, Paul is addressing some of that discretionary behavior. He is addressing what we will call non-moral, non-essential. Okay? The reason he's addressing it is because people have found identity in those things. And have begun to separate or divide in accordance to their identity. But I will tell you, that identity is all flesh. Even these non-moral, non-essential things that they've wrapped themselves around have absolutely no benefit in the spirit. That's right. No benefit. None. You say, now wait a minute, pastor. There are certain things that we can do that will benefit our spirit and grow us. No, it's different. You are complete in Christ. You cannot add to yourself and you cannot take away from yourself. God has made you exactly full and complete to receive and know him. You're just growing in it. You're expanding in it. You're coming to know it in its fullness. And you know how long that's going to take? Eternity. (laughs) Eternity. See, you just thought it was all about here. No, we we do a lot. This This is a crash course in who God is, right? This is what this life is about. A crash course in who God is, and it's lived by faith, something the angels cannot do. Paul's been writing about love as a new creation. The greatest evidence of our supernatural life is love. Did you know that? Many people say, I don't feel like a Christian. That's because you are not loving. And it starts with not loving yourself. The greatest evidence is not how much scripture you've memorized or how many people you've led to the Lord. It's love, L-O-V-E, agape love. We are to love an enemy, Romans 12. We are to show love to our neighbors, Romans 13. And he's dealing with two groups here, and we just named them in this Roman fellowship. One will be named the weak and the other the strong. Now, the weak believers are those believers who have combined law and grace. Now, what does that mean to us? That means that anything that adds to the work of Christ becomes law. Anything that adds to the work of Christ. Whether it's behavior, whether it's knowing and understanding. I don't care what it is. You see, we receive Jesus completely by grace. Not anything we've done has made him Our savior and given us our life. Nothing. Nothing. These weak believers are people who have sincerely received the Lord as savior. But. They believe that in order to maintain a relationship with the Lord. They must do certain things or behave in certain ways. Now Paul refers to them as weak believers. Now in in our thinking Referring to somebody as weak is kind of putting them down. But that's not Paul's intention. That word weak is not talking about their physical weakness. It's not talking about their intellectual weakness. It's talking about a weakness in their faith. In other words, they have not fully come to understand what grace is. Now, I ask you, before you start pointing fingers, how long did it take you? And is it still going on? Well, I guess so. Every one of us that I know anything about. Have come out of churches or fellowships or understandings. That were law, grace, mixtures. Distortions. But that's where God allowed us to be birthed. We were birthed in mangers, as it were. (laughs) In the less perfect environment in the less perfect in our minds nursery without all of in our minds the necessary accoutrements my two daughters are pregnant so i'm becoming real aware of the accoutrements we think we have to have all of these things Well, we were born into fellowships or churches or things of that nature that immediately begin to tell us what accoutrements are needed in order to grow a healthy baby for Christ and in order for Christ to be able to be intimate or interactive or accept us fully. All of those things were either said or intimated to us. Now, that's being raised in a law-grace paradigm. Most of us were. Well, that's what's going on here. That's the wheat in the Roman church. Then you have the strong. Now, the strong are those who literally have embraced grace in all its fullness. They don't understand all of it yet, but they've certainly embraced all the liberty involved. And they're willing to say, we are free in Christ. We do not have to live to laws or regulations. It is grace alone. Grace by faith alone. Don't try to add anything on it. Well, this crew over here, beginning to separate itself out with their particular uh, sensitivity towards certain things. And, And this group over here, beginning to be kind of set aside or rejected because they're not minding the rules the way they should. And the two begin to look at each other. What's that called? Comparison. One of the enemy's biggest tools in the, in the destruction of fellowships. With comparison, love is out the door. Because we do not compare spirit to spirit. Otherwise, there'd be no contrast. What do we compare? Flesh. Absolutely, flesh. Now, there are many reasons that they were weak in faith. They could have been babes in Christ, not yet matured in their understanding. All of us, as I pointed out before, have grown. This is not referring to the morally weak. Please understand that. This is amoral. This is not about morality. This is not about the commandments of God. This is people who are weak in their understanding of grace, but have a heart for God. They have not yet fully embraced the truth that we live by grace alone. Now, the strong, as I pointed out, are those who have matured in grace and are living more fully in the liberty of Christ. And Paul is telling us that we are to receive the weak. That is to fully accept them as equals because they are. They are. You've heard the expression, the ground is level at the cross. Well, I'll tell you something. It's an interesting thing that we won't even understand when we get to heaven. But the reality of it is that God has made each of us uniquely special and equally special. Now, what that means is that we are not all the same. In fact, no one is the same as someone else. No one. You can look yourself in the mirror and you can say, within me lives a, well, I am within this flesh, this person that I am is unique to all creation. There has never been another one like me. There never will be another one like me. No one can replace me. I am not redundant. God didn't get ten servants because he thought five would fall out. The truth is that I am completely unique. And that's why God can't wait to get you home. Because for the first time, you're going to see how unique you are. You're going to see how well you fit in. You're going to see that you're about to enter into to the, the service and the work and the, the joy of existence in a unique place that God created for you. You'll see it there. You're in it here. Ephesians 2.10 All that God has created you for and all that God has created you to do is uniquely yours. That's why I can't sit around and compare your history to mine. I mean, if you're some kind of spiritual giant, I w- and I sit down with you and want to figure out how you got there, and you just happen to be carnal enough to tell me, then what happens is that I try to duplicate what you've done. But you know what? I'm not made to do what you did. I'm not. My life is complete. You know, there's a lot of people, Christians, who just who are so striving to be significant they so want to be significant churches oh we're the mission church oh we're the outreach church oh we're the the sports church the affinity church the seeker church we're this we're just dying to be significant in some way well listen that is nothing but a flesh trip don't attach yourself to those things God calls you to participate, then fine. But that is not your significance. Your significance is not in what you do. It's in who you are. You could be significant and be a paraplegic. And there'd be not another one who could take your place or do or affect in eternity what God wants to do and affect through you. That's why my personal conviction that churches need to be just about Jesus. Because that's where our significance is. That's where our identity is. And most of all, that's where he is. And where he is, I'm going to be. Not want to be, I'm going to be. I'm going to be. Paul tells us, he says, not to criticize their opinions, but to embrace them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Embrace them as family. You know, sometimes we take people in, we think, oh, we can bring them around, you know. I brought him over here because I want to disciple him in truth. No. Listen, that's kind of like the men and women who get married thinking they're going to conform their spouse to their image. Well, that isn't going to happen. It just doesn't work. You know, Paul Paul says, I don't want you pulling people in or just loving on them for what they can be or what they could be. You know, I've seen people get taken in because, you know, that person is just perfect to head up our outreach program. No, God God doesn't want you to bring people in on that basis. He says, I brought them. Now love them. Embrace them. You're equals. You're family. You're in the same body. Now it's time. Now, listen, they may be weak. They may come in with a law and grace handbook, law and grace baggage, didn't we all? I've still got a few of them. God's all pointing them out to me little by little. Let's throw them out. But I'm growing. I'm expanding. Aren't you? Now, we may have people in here that just aren't that free. We've had them in here in the past. And that's okay. But you know what I want to do? I want to so express his life. His liberty, not mine, his liberty, his love, that they can relax and start leaving the baggage at the door and see that they can live fully and freely as God has called them to. We don't want to split based on these things. We want to see them as God sees us. We want to give them grace as we have received grace. We don't want to make them our project or confront them on every point. We want to demonstrate his love, his acceptance that allows them to relax in the fullness of his grace. You know, I've seen a lot of debates between Christians over these things over the years. And I will have to say that in most of these debates, debates I've seen more flesh revealed than I've ever seen truth. Now, that's a reality. Remember that they were God's children first. They're his responsibility to grow and train. The weaker here... They might be a converted Jew who will not eat non-kosher food or work on Saturday. Or they might be a converted Gentile who will not eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. Or they might be someone who doesn't believe that we should have instruments in the, in the auditorium. These things will divide. And let me tell you something. The flesh will always divide. We only use the King James here. No, that's not true, but their churches that split over that. The flesh will always divide. The spirit is where we're in union with one another. Paul is saying, do not judge the non-essentials. Do not allow them to be elevated to doctrine. Romans 4, 2 and 3. One man's faith permits him to believe he may eat anything, while a weaker one limits his eating to vegetables. In the first three. Let not him who eats look down on or despise him who abstains. And let not him who abstains criticizes and passes judgment on him who eats. For God accepts and welcomes him. The strong is not to criticize the weak or the weak the strong. Neither is superior to the others. Now I notice nowadays as it was in the time of Paul. We have a greater sensitivity to license than we do to legalism. We are more suspicious of the man who exercises his liberty than the self-righteous man who stands in his religious discipline. You notice that? Paul is addressing judging others on non-essentials, issues with which the Bible gives no commands. So they are not wrong for indulging or abstaining. We are who we are in Christ. It is not based on our activity that we love or accept others. Now, if they believe that they are securing God's favor in what they do or do not do, they're weak in their faith because acceptance rests solely on the completed work of Christ. Yet we are walking after the flesh when we enter into comparisons and judgments that allow us to present ourselves as spiritually superior. Paul ends that verse, verse 3, he says, For God has accepted and welcomed him. You know what that means? He says, accepted and welcomed. That's the amplifies bringing to English what God has done concerning. It says that God has fully embraced him as his own. Not just welcomed, but literally embraced, has held to himself, his own. Now, you can't get any more accepted than that. So accepted that he gave you his life. Now, I know the work of the enemy. Many of us live in this cycle of condemnation where we fall and the enemy tells us that because we've fallen, we need to make it up to God somehow. So we go through all the religious repenting and and bowing and scraping and promising and all the things that we think we need to do in order to get back in God's favor. Well, you know, in this verse, Paul is talking about those people who literally are acting in self-righteousness, which is a form of idolatry, by the way, who are acting in self-righteousness with good intentions, okay, okay, and God is literally embracing and loving them it's like it's like you you've got somebody over there and it's like there's this person here okay and they stink they smell so bad you're standing in the back of the auditorium and waving from afar you're thinking my gosh don't they smell themselves And they just, they got flies, the whole business. And God walks right past you, walks over to them, puts his arm around them, and walks them straight up to you and says, this is my child. This is my beautiful child. Will you love him? And you're going, this is no. Will you love him? But Lord, he stinks. I don't care about the way he smells. He's mine. We see ourselves as stinkers. When we fall and we fail. We think God has distanced himself from us. If we see ourselves that way. Then we have a criteria by which we believe. That we have to behave in order to have God's acceptance. Now follow me. If we have a criteria that we believe. We have to keep in order to have God's acceptance. Then that criteria is superimposed on everyone around us. If I cannot accept myself. I cannot accept others. You follow me. Hard to deal with when God says, agape them. That's not just welcome, glad y'all came. That is literally to love unconditionally. Paul, again, is addressing the non-essentials. He said to accept and welcome them as brother and sister in Christ. You know, we see in the Gospels that Jesus walked with an atmosphere of love about him. People felt safe and accepted in his presence. He is light, and while the darkness of man would run from him, the need, the man's need for love and acceptance brought them near. That is the life we share, and that should be the atmosphere of our homes and of our fellowship. You see, Jesus walked in the middle of the people that everybody else rejected, he didn't accept their sin. He didn't accept their weaknesses. He accepted them with love. And because he walked in with love and because they could sense that in this man there was love and no rejection. They were glad to be in his presence. They were glad to be there. And when you know what? It's love that draws us to him. It's his acceptance that draws us to him. It's our failures and our sin and and our self-analysis that causes us to run from him but it's not based in truth we need to have that same atmosphere in our church in our families in our homes romans 14 verses 4 and 5 who are you to pass judgment on and censor another's household servant it is before his own master that he stands or falls and he shall stand and be upheld, for the master, the Lord, is mighty to support him and make him stand. Now, first of all, look at how he's illustrating this. He says, who are you to censor and pass judgment on a household servant? That being said, he praises you and he declares to all who are there that you are his precious servant. Servant, You are who he made you to be. And what's more, you're not only who he made you to be. I want you to understand something, ma'am or sir. This servant is not only a servant because I made them a servant. They are a servant living exactly the way I made them to live. In the place that I gave them to live. Wearing the clothes that I gave them to wear. And literally, they are walking and living and breathing for my strength and my life. So when you criticize a servant, you're not only criticizing his vocation or what he's doing, you're criticizing who he is. And I'm telling you, I'm a part of who he is. He's standing because me.
1: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship, but we need to let you know that we have moved. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our new location is 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, You can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.